Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. There were a couple of hunters who chartered a plane to fly into the Canadian wilderness. The pilot took them deep into the wilderness and dropped them off and said, all right, I'll be back in two weeks to pick you up. A little small plane. Okay. So they went hunting. Two weeks later, the pilot comes back. And there are the two hunters with the two big animals that they've bagged. And they're going to say, we're ready to go back. And the pilot says, now, wait a minute, guys. I told you when I dropped you off. That I can, this plane is only big enough. I can take you, two, and one moose. I can't take two moose and two people and me. It's, the plane won't make it. And they're like, well, last year, the guy who brought us out here, we, we got in the plane with, with two moose. Pilot says, okay, well, I, I guess it's okay this one time then. So they get in the plane. And they start going, and sure enough, the plane's too heavy, and it can't clear the hill, and it crashes. And they, the, they are crawling out of the little plane, and the one, you know, they're kind of shaking their heads. And the one hunter says, where are we? And the other guy looks around and says, I think we're about half a mile further than we made it last year. <laughs> you you may have heard the saying that a half truth is a whole lie. <laughs> um, and indeed, lying can be just telling part of the truth, and it often leads to crashes. And that's the, the true story uh, that we're going to look at today from Acts chapter 4, verse 32, up into 516. Now, let me set the context uh, for you on that. We come to this point in Acts and Satan has been attacking with external opposition. You know, you can't, the looters, you can't preach in Jesus' name. But that did not stop the momentum of the early church. People were still being saved. The church was still growing. But now the end of Acts 4 and into Acts 5 introduces another one of Satan's tactics. So first there was external persecution, and now there's internal opposition. Ananias and Sapphira, you're probably familiar with this story, sold a piece of property and said, oh, we sold it for so much. And they went and put that money down, but it was a lie because they had sold it for more. And God judged them immediately. And we're going to look at this story, and we're going to, in the process, and these are on your outline, I, I want to, the way I want to walk through it is to say, you know, the church is growing here, but there's some mistakes to avoid. And there are four mistakes in this passage that we should avoid as the church grows. Number one, assuming that a flourishing church is safe or free from problems. Number two... Believing that outward acts of religiosity represent true service and ministry to God. Three, thinking that God's loving and forgiving nature 
implies that he will allow sin to go unpunished, and four, wondering whether human frailty and sin or Satan, satanic opposition will hinder the ultimate progress of God's work. All four of those are mistakes, and we'll see why as we walk through the passage. So let's take them one at a time. First of all, assuming that a flourishing church is safe or free from problems. Now, if you take a look at what's happening here when you come to Acts 4.32, you're going to say, wow, that is a flourishing church. And you may think, I mean, it's all been good news so far. You know, people are being saved. The church loves each other. The people in the community love them. And we don't really know anything about any problem in the church. Watch, look at the evidences. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we know this was a spirit-filled church, starting in Acts chapter 2. And we heard at the end of the passage last week, Acts 4.31, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. God is at work. And notice the things, verse 32, the unity. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Verse 32, there was sacrificial giving. They gave, they shared what they had. Verse 33, there was a powerful testimony. With great power, the apostles continued to testify. There was a description of God's favor, verse 33. Much grace was upon them all, and there was commonality in the group. Verse 34, there were no needy persons. You would think, maybe, that this church is set. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. But watch as we come to chapter 5. Now, the end of chapter 4, you know, no chapter divisions when the Bible was originally written. So it's this is one story. Joseph sells the land, and now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Let me ask a question. Would he have been wrong To only give part of the money? Was there any requirement that he had to give it all? No. But what he did was wrong. Because he portrayed it as if he were giving more. Like, hey, I sold the land and here, here's here's the money for it. And Peter says in verse 3, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. So while the church is still growing, (laughs) Satan is at work. And that's why it is a mistake to assume that a flourishing church is safe or free from problems. Why? Because Satan actively opposes God's work. 
When God is moving, when people are being saved, when the gospel is being presented, when people are loving each other, Satan doesn't like any of that. And he actively opposes. Um, he wants to stop the progress of the church. He, he infiltrates from within. In fact, I tend to think in general, and there are always exceptions, but the church in the East, and by the, I don't mean the Eastern United States, I mean the Eastern world, they really suffer a lot from external persecution. You know, their brothers and sisters giving their life. In the West, North America in particular, the church tends to struggle more from internal things. We don't really have much external persecution, but we have internal things. Even good people can be tempted to sin and can give in and be Satan's instrument. Satan tempts people to sin. He divides people. He deceives us. The second mistake is believing that outward acts of religiosity represent true service and ministry to God. Look look at verse 3 again. How has Satan filled your hearts? You've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept some of the money. Verse 4, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Now, why do you think they did that? In fact, I want us to take like two minutes real quick. We don't know 100% why, so this is a little bit of speculation. But turn to somebody around you and just ask or discuss real quickly, why would, why would they do this? Okay, what, what was their thinking? Just let's try to get into their brain and then I'll conclude that. So just a minute or two, go ahead and turn to somebody and talk about that for a second. All right. Um, so what are some of the things that, that you guys came up with? What are some potential reasons they, they could have done this? They want to look good. Want to, to look good in front of others? Yep. They just seen the example of Barnabas and like, oh, that's what you're Right. There can be kind of a bandwagon effect, right? Yeah. Oh, Barnabas. Uh, okay. Yeah, we we should do that too. What else? Uh, come up with any other possibilities? All right. Yeah, maybe they actually needed that money, and they just weren't willing to be truthful about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, we already, the good point, we already saw that, that they were all sharing with each other. Any other thoughts? Maybe, maybe, you know, I mean, they might have wanted to look good, uh, to other people, but maybe specifically to the leadership. Sometimes people want to look good to the leadership. Maybe they want to, because they're laying it at the apostles' feet, and they're thinking, oh, well, maybe we'll rise to leadership or something like that. Um, so they were generous, but for whatever reason, what we do know is that their motives were mixed. <laughs> we have to be really careful about that. It is a mistake. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe a lack of trust there. 
Why, why is this a mistake? It's because God looks on the heart. That, that's, that's why it's a mistake to think that we can just serve God on the outside uh, and do things on the outside that may look really good to other people. For Samuel sixteen seven, the Lord does not look on things man looks at. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Psalm 51, 6, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. So they're looking good outwardly, but inside they're full of deceit. You know, our, our culture, our culture lies a lot. Uh, I saw this little bit in this magazine, uh, some famous American fibs. The check is in the mail. We service what we sell. Money cheerfully refunded. One size fits all. This offer limited to the first hundred people who call in. Your luggage is not lost, it's only misplaced. Leave your resume and we'll keep it on file. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Your table will be ready in a few minutes. And lastly, open wide, it won't hurt a bit. <laughs> but why was this lie so so dangerous, so serious? I think there's some reasons. First of all, because it wasn't casual deception. It was premeditated hypocrisy. I mean, they they talked about it. They planned it, you know. In that culture, the man would have been responsible for the business affairs. But it says it's with full knowledge of his wife. They, they went into this together. Um, Kent Hughes, uh, a former pastor of the college church in Wheaton, Illinois, says, We must be absolutely clear what Ananias' sin was. He feigned a deeper spiritual commitment than he had. We share Ananias' sin, not when others think we're more spiritual than we, than we are, but when we try to make others think we're more spiritual than we are. And he, he gives some examples of what Ananias' sin might look like today, creating the impression we're people of prayer when we're not, or making it look like we have it all together when we don't, or promoting the idea that we're generous when we are tight. It would just been a lot better for them just to be honest. So it was premeditated. Also, it was public. You know, they, they did this publicly. They, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And there is an emphasis in the early church. Here's the, the other factor, too, about the implications of what it means to be spirit-filled. This was a spirit-filled church, right? In fact... It may be that the main point of this sermon is that God is present with us in the church through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And we often see that and we talk about it and we say, yeah, we can see the evidences. Because they were witnessing and they had joy and they shared. All of those are indeed evidences that the Holy Spirit, God's there through the Holy Spirit. But guess what else is an evidence? Purity. <laughs> 
purity is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. And in Paul picked it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and into 7. He said, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? And he, he talks about God's promise that I will walk among them and I will be their people. And he said, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from Everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Power, yes. Joy, yes. Togetherness, yes. But also holiness, in fact, his name is the Holy Spirit. Say his name with me out loud. Holy Spirit. Well, let's consider a third mistake. Thinking that God's loving and forgiving nature implies that he will allow sin to go punished. I think almost every child who's ever been born in the history of the world makes this mistake about their parents. <laughs> They think, oh, if they're loving and forgiving, they, they, there won't be any punishment or there shouldn't be any punishment. And sometimes we carry this false view of God. We, we all desperately need God's forgiveness and his love because we've all sinned. We've all blown it. And we rightly talk about that a lot. But let's don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, yeah, because God forgives he, he, there's not going to be any punishment. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. By the way, they, they didn't embalm at that point, so you know they would bury people right away. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now, this is a difficult story, there's no doubt. And I'm thankful that this doesn't happen in quite the same way today because we might have already had a whole lot of funerals. <laughs> but what's going on here? It's, it's a critical time in the history of the church. And there are things that happen in Acts that show us God's heart and God's principles that aren't necessarily repeated in terms of the action, but the principle keeps getting repeated. So God doesn't strike people dead when we are hypocritical 
or dishonest to the leaders of the church or to the church. But he still doesn't like it. And he still does bring his judgment. Richard Longnecker says the way Ananias and Sapphira attempted to reach their goals was so dramatically opposed to the whole thrust of the gospel that to allow it to go unchallenged would have set the entire mission for the church off course. So it's public. And they lived in a different conceptual world. They lived in a world that sin was taken seriously, unlike our world. And most importantly, this reminds us that God's character is holy. So it's a mistake to think that love and forgiveness, which are true, are going to keep God from judging. Because why? Because God is a holy judge. God is a holy judge. Because God is holy, that means that sin is theological at the core. What do I mean by that? Sin is between me and God. When I sin, I'm offending God. Think about Joseph. Remember we went through Genesis and Joseph is tempted to sin with Potiphar. Nobody's going to know about this. Nobody's going to tell if they find out. And when Joseph was tempted in that way, what did he say? How could I do such a thing and sin not against Potiphar or not against you? How could I sin against God? So when we sin, yeah, we hurt others and sometimes we sin against others, but it's always theological. It's always us and God. J.I. Packer says, There's some characteristics of God as judge. In other words, it means things. Number one, the judge is a person with authority. Two, the judge was identified with what is good and right. Three, the judge is a person of wisdom to discern truth. And four, the judge executes the sentence. Would a God who did not care about the difference between right and wrong be a good and admirable being? Would a God who put no distinction between the Hitlers and the Stalins and his own saints be morally praiseworthy and perfect. Moral indifference would be an imperfection in God, not a perfection. But not to judge the world would be to show moral indifference. So love without justice is sentimentality, but love and justice come together in God. And in Christ. And I commend to you the cross of Jesus Christ. No better place where God's love and God's justice come together. That's why Jesus died, because he loved us to forgive us. But it's also God's justice. A righteous, holy God is pouring out his wrath on sin in that place. Now... When we say God is a judge, I mean, our society is like, oh, well, don't judge, you know. Um, It can come across negative. It doesn't give us a right to be judgmental. We're not talking about being judgmental people. We're talking about knowing that God is a holy God and a holy judge. Well, let's look at one more. 
And that's wondering whether human frailty or sin or satanic opposition will hinder the ultimate progress of God's work. What happened after this? Did, did the church just like, oh, no. <laughs> well, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, watch the contrast between verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 No one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Hey, who wants to go join that church where people are are falling dead? Oh, but nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. You see, God was at work. It was a good thing that people wouldn't just join on their own because they might have been joining for the wrong reasons. They might not have had heart change and life change and they just kind of wanted to be with the exciting crowd or something. No, they wouldn't dare join, but God was saving people. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. God's at work here. There's fear in verse 11. There's salvations in verse 13 and 14. There's miracles in verse 15 and 16. So... Notice the forces that are at work as as God's kingdom is advancing. Satan is attacking from the outside and the inside. Sin is deceiving and harming the body, but God is judging sin and he's purifying his church. And he's working and building his church. (laughs) So we don't need to wonder. Well, okay. If there is human sin, or if Satan is opposing, does that mean God's work is not going to happen? No, that's a mistake to wonder that. Why? Because God is sovereign. Even though they messed up, God is sovereign. So here's God's word. When God builds his church, Satan attacks it from the inside, but God prevails. When God builds his church, Satan attacks it from the inside, but God prevails. So let me, let me just wrap it up by just giving you four potential ways that you can respond to God's word this morning. The first one is examine yourself. Proverbs 8, 13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. So, Ask, do do I engage in in any of these things? Do I exaggerate? Do I deceive others about my spiritual commitments? Do I try to make myself look better than I really am? Second is thank God for his grace. Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4 says, O Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are to be filled, feared. Thank God for his grace. We 
shouldn't look down our noses at Ananias and Sapphira and say, yeah, they got what they were asking or what they deserved or whatever because all of us deserve punishment. And God is gracious to us. Number three, worship God for his sovereignty. God's going to (laughs) win. Satan's not going to win. God is going to win. And number four, pray for the spiritual protection of our church body against Satan's tactics. You know, the people that you can look around and see in this room, those who will be coming to the second service, those who will be online, those who are out of town today, the people in our church body, other other Christians that you know of are under attack. Satan attacks the church. He does not want the church to succeed. He does not want the church to pray. He does not want the church to do mission or missions. He does not want the church to to reach out and see people saved. So we pray for each other. We build each other up. The, The title of this sermon is Pants on fire, obviously built on that little expression, liar, liar, pants on fire. It's just a little silly saying, right? But lying to God brings more serious consequences than a little heat in the seat. And this is with us. Store manager heard one of his employees um, say to a customer, uh, no, ma'am. Uh, we haven't had we haven't had any for a while, and it doesn't look like any's coming. And the manager rushed over and said, "Oh no, 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 no! It's it's on order. It, it it'll be here. It, it's it's on the way." And the customer left, and the manager pulled the, the employee over and said, "Never, never, never tell them that we don't have something. Um, yeah, we want them." Continuing to come back in the store. Don't don't tell them that. Just tell them it's it's on order. It's like, by the way, what what was she asking about? And employees looked at him and said, "Rain." <laughs> it may be the way of the world to lie. But it's not the way of God, and it hurts. And internal opposition hurts. Uh, let me close with this. Recently, I, I spoke to a pastor friend of mine from another city. His church was going well. Things were happening. And they hired a staff member um, who got dissatisfied about a few things. And rather than handling her issues biblically, she decided to start uh, criticizing the moves of the church and pastor to other staff members and to some of the lay leaders in the church. And it just just destroyed the momentum in that church. Um, Satan's tricky. He, he tries to get in. He tries to sneak in. <laughs> Satan attacks when God builds his church. Satan attacks it from the inside, but God 
prevails. Let's, let's be the people of God that are pure and holy and not letting him get a foot in our door. And let's pray for each other. Let's pray that God will protect this church body and grow this church body and put his hand on us and keep the evil one at bay. Amen? All right, bow your heads, please, with me. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.